Yeah. Our shower comes out like this high at night. All right, we'll go ahead and get started. Notice my teams aren't fighting for the front row. <laughs> Jonathan. <laughs> Except for Bradley. Well done. Way to be strong, Bradley. All right, we have, uh, I usually give the teens announcements. I have, uh, we're going to have a, a heritage camping trip. Um, I think it's June 14th, 15th. Second weekend. Second weekend in June. But actually, the, the church can come too, so it's teen families. But if you want to go come camping, you can come camping. We're going to Red River Gorge, which I guess is a place you can fall to your death if you so choose. And rattlesnakes. Okay, so yeah. Excellent. I, I saw this. This, is, this stuck out to me. It says, check the night temperatures online for Stanton, Kentucky. The fewer clothes on your body in the bag, the warmer you will be. We're going to have a bunch of naked people in there <laughs> in their sleeping bags. But wool socks are best. Anyway, so we'll have, we'll have more information about that coming. That's going to be a fun, fun trip. Um, we'll go ahead and start with prayer, and then uh, we'll talk about the topic of adoption. I've got... Uh, I was going to interview two different families, but uh, one of them, the Bennetts needed to be in Nashville, so I have, uh, they, they wrote it out for me a little bit, and, uh, but let's, let's start off with prayer. Heavenly Father, it is an incredible thing that you reach down to broken, sinful people, and from eternity past said, I'm going to bring them to myself. I'm going to bring them with all their failures, with all their weakness, um, not because of anything good they're going to do or have done. I'm going to reach down to them like, like Ezekiel talks about. says, hey, you're covered with blood. You're a mess. I clothe you. I cleaned you up. And Lord, that's what you did. And today we're celebrating adoption. Um, Lord, we want to be a church that encourages and pushes and lifts up those who are adopting and uh, we want to be a church, we want to be a people that revels in the truth that you adopted sinful people right. like us. And so we rejoice in that, and we're really, really thankful that we can be together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. All right, so uh, I'm going to start off with a little uh, inter interview of Joe back there. Who, who here in this room has adopted children? Just so I don't miss anybody if... Okay. Who else has ado adopted children? Got Joe. I know we had um, the Bennetts were going to get interviewed. Obviously, the Red Ferns. Who else did we talk about? Hobsons. Both Hobsons. Oh, I mean, one's, yeah, Maddie's. Um, LaCours are in process. Yeah, yeah. Got a few adoptions with his grandkids, too. <laughs> um yeah, so Joe's getting, getting interviewed by us right now. So here's the three questions I want to ask you, Joe. Um, I, want to, I want to know why you two chose to adopt, and I want to know some joys and some struggles with adoption. Wow. Uh, so why did you guys choose to adopt? That, that can take a while. Uh, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, I had been married before, uh -huh. and uh, I had grown children, 
at the time of my own. So I, I didn't feel the need for a child in our relationship. Mm -hmm. um, Alicia was converted, and shortly after that I was converted, and Alicia, she was 40 years old, I think, she began to be burdened with, not burdened, but she began to feel the need for a child as a mother. Yeah. Uh, unbeknownst to me, she was going through that in, in our relationship. She, she was afraid to tell me. Oh. Okay. So she approached Pastor Ted, and Pastor Ted, very wise man, he, he, gave her, he gave her godly counsel and said that she should raise that issue, that she owed it to me to raise it to me. Yeah. So um, she did. And I still didn't feel like I was at a place in my life where I should have a small child. I thought it was unfair to me and unfair to the child. Okay. Really. Okay. How old were you at the time? 50, 54. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I couldn't see myself with a, a little one. I was a grandfather. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Pastor Ted approached me, and Pastor Ted and I met. And, and again, he gave wise, wise, godly counsel. He didn't try to persuade me. He told me to take it to the Lord hmm. and to pray about it and to meditate on it and think about it. And he, he said, I think you'll come up with the answer. <laughs> so before I got to my car after that meeting, I knew that I was going to be uh, a father to you. The Lord showed me that walking to my car. Really? Ricky did. He did. So that's that's what started this on the road to adoption. Uh, really, was Alicia's uh, instinct to become a mother, mm -hmm. and we started on the road to adoption, and that's how it came about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then give give us a a struggle and give us a joy in adoption. A, a struggle, and I don't, want to, I don't want to dissuade anybody, but a struggle with adoption is this. It's a very complicated process. Okay. Okay. And it's also very expensive. Okay. Right? And that's, that's from a worldly point of view. I mean, that's, but that's, that's the facts. It's, mm -hmm. it's not an easy thing to do um, structure-wise. Okay. Um, did you go through an agency, or did we you? Went, we went through an agency. We did. Okay. And um, through the process of going through that agency, and when we traveled to Guatemala, get jokes, we met families who had been through agencies twice and had lost all their money. Oh. So adoption is wonderful, and it, and I could be said it comes from God, but man, in a lot of ways, has corrupted. That, yeah. right? The money and the paperwork and yeah, like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's the only struggle I have with okay. this. Okay. Is, is in the beginning as we got into the process. And how about a joy? Uh, the greatest joy, one of the greatest joys of my life, and, and for me it was a big change in accepting this. When I saw Josie, we were in the hotel lobby in Guatemala City, and I saw Josie across the lobby being held by her foster mother, I knew she was my daughter. Uh -huh. it, was, it, was just like, it was just like when I saw my other children born. She was my daughter from that time forward. And how old was she at the time? She was nine months old. Nine months old. Yeah. 
Now, did you know that you were getting her when you were here and went down there, or did you go yeah, walk to the room and they said, we, pick we, one out of ten? Through the process, we had, we had one picture of Josie, and we knew that Josie was going to be ours, but the picture was when she was like three hours old, and she weighed four pounds when she was born, so she looked like a little bird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, when, when we saw her, she was healthy and well taken care of, and, and yeah. she was beautiful, and still is, and yeah. will be, and, and uh, she was my child from first time I saw her. Yeah, yeah. Would you undo? I mean, so you felt like you were too old or, or what to be a dad? Has that affected, how has that affected things? Uh, I don't think, I, I still have qualms about, I think about what, like when Josie's going to graduate high school, how old I would be. Sure. And is that, is that fair to her? Because we're going to be in a, in, a, in a room where most fathers are your age, and I'm going to be in my 70s. Yeah, sure. So that's, again, that's, but that's a worldly side of things. Yeah. Uh, I love my daughter, and my daughter loves me, and that's, that's the only important thing about me. How can you point her to Christ in your 60s as opposed to if you would have had her in your 30s? Oh, if I'd have had her in my 30s, she wouldn't have had a chance. But now at least uh, I can I can expose her to Sunday school and uh, godly preaching and uh, other godly children and godly parents. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. Then God had His timing right on you, didn't He? He gave you a, a little girl. You're a believer. You can say, "There's Christ." The older I get, the more I realize that God knows exactly what He's doing. Sure, sure. And if you've been, my parents were were really really young. But other parents are much older when they have kids. God works good things. Yeah. Okay, so, oh, yes, go ahead. I, I didn't speak, I'm speaking for Alicia, but yeah. she, I've seen her grow as a mother. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing to watch her and Josie interacting. And, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Good, good, excellent. I wanted to start us off with that. And then I also want to start us with um, this letter from the Bennetts. So I can get emotional with parenting things. I think adoption makes me emotional, so I can't read this letter. So this is just uh, Jeremy and Rachel, and you can read it, because you do this. Thank you. You do this for a living. <laughs> well, you can get emotional. I just, I can't. So this is from the Bennetts, uh, and, and I asked him the same question. Why do you decide to adopt? What are some joys, and what are some struggles? Our story of adoption started out seven years started out of seven years of infertility. We longed for another child a few years after Alec was born and it just wasn't happening. Like many who struggle with infertility, why often plagues your mind and heart. You try to wrap your mind around God's plan and you try to rationalize why your timing should be his timing. We considered domestic and international adoption, but after a period of prayer and learning more about it, we decided to foster. There were hopes that it would lead to an adoption, but we knew that there was a ton of messy situations that often led to heartache. It's kind of an odd situation where you're hoping for an adoption, but that also means another family is being torn apart in the process. Our heart was that if a child should have to be displaced from its home, we wanted to be its forever family. The first call came, a baby girl. She came and she left, and we wept. The second call came, a one-year-old little blonde girl. She came and she left and we wept even more. We thought, can we keep doing this? Can we endure this heartbreak over and over again? But wait, why are we even thinking about us and how we feel? 
Shouldn't we be more worried about these helpless children in horrible situations that need love, that need security, that need Jesus? We decided to stay on the fostering journey. August 16, 2016 is the day that sweet Hannah came to us. That smile. She smiled so big when she was a baby you couldn't see her eyes. I think we decided that we would keep her the day we picked her up. Tons of ups and downs followed that day. Tons of tears, anxiety, and worry. Court visit after court visit. Again, lack of trust in the Lord's plans. In the end, through infertility, through multiple fostering placements that did not stay, the Lord continued to say, I've got a plan. I've always had a plan. You were anxious, though. I told you not to be anxious. You have little faith. Obviously, not all of God's plans end in joy and happiness. Sometimes in this world, we're left with sadness and grief. In our case, July 13, 2018 is the day Hannah was adopted. The Lord answered our prayers. It was as if he was saying, this is what I had you waiting for. Hannah brings a ton of joy every minute of the day to our family. She's been woven into the fabric of our hearts. The journey has taught us a lot about our faith and the times we've lacked faith. It's given us further insight into being adopted sons and daughters of God. We're thankful that his sacrificial love led to our eternal adoption. We have the opportunity to display that through earthly adoption. Isn't that good? Do you guys remember that? I think it was at a uh, Lord's table and Rachel prayed and shared maybe two years ago. I think Hannah was a little baby and the mom was going back and forth with her. And I just remember her weeping and then Jeremy taking over and talking. And, you know, there's always stories of kids being taken back to, to biological parents and um, and if it's to a good situation, I think we rejoice. We want good biological parents to raise their kids. But when it's a horrible situation, I remember reading the file of, of Hannah's parents at the Patino shelter, because that's where she was before, was before I got there. But reading that file and thinking, this kid cannot go back there. The parents love her. I don't, I don't doubt that the biological parents love for her. But... Uh, God's goodness right there. Yeah. So I would say this. When, when you adopt, when you looked at little Josie, you didn't say, hey, look at the financial benefit from this. We're going to bank from this kid. She's got $100 bills taped all over her. Or, you know what? This is what she's going to get me right now. She's going to get me this and this and this. She had diapers and she cried and she took your financial resources and used them. Now we could make strong arguments for what God has put in hearts of wanting to raise and care for others. But at a really short-term look, Josie was a financial, was, was a drain, if we could put it that way. So I want us to look again, which I don't normally do this, the last time when I taught on election. If you want to turn with me to Deuteronomy 7, I actually started with this text. I wouldn't normally go to the same text again, but I think it sets our thinking with um, the theology of adoption. When people are saying, I wanted a child or, or I chose, um, this is what God did when he reached down to us. And so just to kind of set our thinking, I want you to be thinking at the forefront of this is our sinfulness and God's holiness. So Deuteronomy chapter 7, and we'll look um, starting with verse 6. So this is God saying to Israel, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. 
out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. He's basically saying, I could have, I could have gone different directions with this. Now we could back up to, to Abram and we could say, hey, in, in Genesis 15, he, he reached down to Abram, absolutely. And this is kind of, he's reviewing a little bit here. Basically, I, I went and looked and I didn't reach for someone who was the, had the, was the most people, had the biggest country, had the most potential, the best looking, whatever else. I decided to set my love upon you. And he says, um, says, I chose you at the end of verse 7, for you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with uh, he will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do all the commandments and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. And I think that sets up at a really strong level the power of God, the work of God, the holiness of God, there's some wrath of God. It's a serious thing. And then on us, we can think, you know, I'm, I'm better looking than my neighbor. I'm better behaved than my neighbor. I have better morals than my neighbor or, or whatever it might be. But this is saying, no, no, no. I picked you out and you were the least of all peoples. And I decided to set my love upon you. And I could think, um, I don't know if you, if you want to think. And we have people in here that have children. We have people in here who do not have children. We have people in here that might long to have their own children. And we have, might have people in here that are really, really struggling with their children. You might have already raised your kids. You might have adult children that are struggling deeply in sin. You might have adult children that are serving the Lord with gladness. So I, we know we have every different group in here. But know, know in this as we start, we want to understand God's adoption of us. We also want to be a church that sees the value of all humans because they're created in the image of God. And um, because that is true, we want to be a church that encourages and supports adoption and children. So if you're in here and you are longing for children or you have lost children, I, I, um, we, we hurt with you. We can't know the level of your hurt, um, but we hurt with you. But want to be a church that sees ourselves as we truly are and sees God and his goodness as he truly is. So our sinfulness and God's holiness. Um, this is um, the author, Allison, that we've been reading the book. He has this. Adoption is the mighty act of God to take sinful people, enemies who are alienated and separated from him, and incorporate them as beloved children into his family forever. A lot of Christians really struggle with this right here, sinful people, and a lot of, you know, a greater Christianity tries to minimize sin and say, ah, we're not that bad, sin isn't that big of a deal, or, you know, minimize it in several different ways. We don't want to minimize that. We want to see it at the, at the huge, horrible, and deep level that it is, that truly we are enemies who are alienated and separated. And that's from, um, well, Ephesians 2 talks to us about us being the, the sons of disobedience. Romans deals with that as well. And then it says, so we're separated from him, but we can be incorporated as beloved children into his family forever. And this, the second, this last phrase here is another one Christians struggle with often. 
Because they think, oh, I've been doing this wrong or this wrong or this wrong. I'm not good enough for God. I don't, I don't merit enough for God. And we know that human adoption isn't a perfect parallel. But if you think of that and what Joe shared at the beginning, did he say, and I loved Josie because she obeyed me so well? Did I love Josie because I knew eventually she'd love to shoot free throws out here? Did I love Josie because I knew I'd get something? You know, in my old age, she's really going to be taking care of me. He didn't say any of those things. He said, that's my daughter. And that's what God's saying about us. So even those, those of us who have been in great churches for a long time, even those of us who have been believers for a long time, you must remind yourself, connected to the theology of adoption and other theology as well, beloved children into his family forever. So let's look at a few different passages. Um, uh, Ron, do you want to read this for me? Read from Galatians uh, 4, 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. On your worst day, believer, when you're struggling, you're not worthy, but he makes us worthy. Yeah, Ron? You know, when you were talking about, you know, when uh, God chose the Israelites, Mm -hmm. they weren't the strongest, they weren't the biggest, and uh, whatever. You know, I just, I never thought about that you had mentioned it just then. I wonder if he did that because he said, you're you're a liability to me. Hmm. You're not bringing anything to me. Table. Sure, sure. Well, he, he definitely does that. You know, I referenced Ezekiel in, in my opening prayer. Yeah. And definitely, he says, you know, you're just, you're laying your blood on the side of the road. And I put rings on your fingers and I washed you up and I made you clean. And still you rebelled against me. And then he said, you know, then you prostituted yeah. away from me. Absolutely. Um, you know, we see enslaved and then redeemed in here. It says, and because you are sons, and there are those in, that would argue, hey, you need to say sons and daughters. But what would it do? So you think of an ancient Near East world. What, is it, what does it change if you say if you were sons and daughters? What could that potentially do? Because it's basically saying men and women, you're all sons. Why is that? Is it because you know, God only likes men? Why doesn't he add and daughters right there? Daughters didn't inherit. Yeah, daughters didn't inherit. And so now, if you know, when I die and leave each kid 20 bucks, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and a cow, they'll each get a couple, a cow or two. <laughs> They're not, I'm not going to say, you know, oh, sorry, Anna, you get no cows, no money, and Jed, you know, Jed gets 40 bucks and four cows. That's not, that's not what it's going to be, right? Because in the world we live today, at that time, only sons inherited. So if we said, if it said sons and daughters there, the temptation for people would be to say, hey, maybe there's, maybe there's two different levels of inheritance. 
I mean, you know how people can sinfully want to get whatever's best for them. They might, they might even change that to, well, maybe the, the Jews are the sons and the, the daughters are the Gentiles. So maybe they get a secondary, second string inheritance. In Christ, all sons, all inheritance. That's a, that's a very big deal, very, very big deal with um, adoption. Um, let's look at another text. Ron, why don't you just read this one too? So 1 John 3 is another adoption passage. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Good, good. Um... A big argument within greater Christianity as well would say, hey, you know, we're, we're all brothers and sisters. We're all children of God. And so they would say, hey, you know, this whole adoption thing that you're saying only, only you. I had a discussion with a guy um, on Monday, and he was arguing basically a, a version of, of universalism. You know, we're all, we're all children of God. We're all in good with God. God loves us all. And he said, you even believe in creation. So God made everybody, right? We're all brothers and sisters. And there's truth to that. So, so within the context of creation, everybody in the entire world is our brother and sister in a broad sense. But in a specific sense here, he's saying we can be called the children of God. The world does not know us, that it doesn't know him. So are those, there are those, this is arguing, that, that are children of God, and there are those that are not children of God. So it's just another part of adoption that we have to have, have to understand. Um, it's like I skipped really quickly. Let me, I'll just back up one, I guess. Um, turn with me to, to Romans chapter 8. So we're kind of defining adoption. And now we're going to look at just some, maybe some specifics before we kind of apply it at the end. Um, so in Romans chapter 8, um, there's the idea in scripture of kind of an, an already not yet idea in some parts of theology. Um, um, Paul will say that we are glorified, but there's some, yes, positionally we're glorified, but there's actually a, a fuller, more future aspect of that. Um, in the, the kingdom, there's some, there's, the kingdom is here, but the kingdom is going to be even fuller in a future, at a future time. Um, um, Ephesians 2, I wrote this down here in Ephesians 2, Paul says, we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Well, you know, right now, you're seated at a table right here, but positionally, we're seated with Christ, but that's going to have some, there's some already to it, but some some future to that aspect as well. And adoption has the same thing. Um, Romans 8, let's start with verse 12. It says, uh, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, which people will say, you know, it's like daddy or dad, father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also might be glorified with him. And then down to verse 22, um, for we know that the whole creation 
has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then he talks about hope. So just know that with adoption, most of the time in Scripture, it'll talk about adoption as a here, now, but there's also some future aspects. We're going to have glorified bodies, new heaven, new earth, uh, no pain, no sorrow, all that is, is future, but we have it now, but we're going to see it in a future way at a, at a fuller level. A little bit it could be with Joe and with Josie. I'm guessing you put money down and signed papers before the day that you picked her up. So it was she was technically adopted, but you, and it's not a perfect picture, but you brought her here at a later date. So there's a little bit of that picture right there. Uh, another one that we want to we talk about a little bit is the Brotherhood of Jesus, and we don't need to spend very much time here, but there's kind of a, a thing in, in uh, I don't know if you want to call it cool guy Christianity or whatever, and, and you, you might believe this. Um, I, I've got a, a few relatives and definitely some Facebook friends that believe this, but it's kind of a, uh, Jesus is my bro, and so if my bro gets what he wants from God, then my bro gets me what I want from God, and so, oops, uh, so I, I kind of I get whatever I want. Um, do, do you know people, anybody that, any of that in your circles at all? It's kind of popular right now, getting more and more popular. Nothing, nobody? Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, when you think about it, it's really taking the Lord's name in vain. Um, it really is. But, uh, yeah. I've known people who consider God as, you know, you know my good uncle. Yeah. 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 And I think one of the interesting things with that is when Jesus is in the garden and he says, you know, if possible, take this cup from me or um, like because kind of the argument is that Jesus gets anything he wants. So they would argue typically it's usually connected to kind of the prosperity gospel. Hey, well, we know Jesus never got sick. Jesus never had anything difficult in his life because he got what he wanted. Uh, you know, not a ton of New Testament reading if, if that's your position. Um, but then people will, will spin it around to, um, I know uh, a friend that I haven't seen him in 10 years. They went on a missions trip to Europe and they said, you know, they converted 300 people. It was like 312 or 302 people while they were there. And they said, all I had to do is tell them that Jesus is my brother. He can be your brother. And your bro- would your brother withhold anything from you? And so he gives you everything they want. And they, you know, quote verses of, you know, doesn't withhold any good thing, blah, blah. Um, and so I pushed back just one time with this person. And I said, I'm sure that Paul understood the brotherhood of Jesus. But he also was beaten and shipwrecked and abused and uh, jailed and then had his head chopped off. Um, so absolutely, Jesus says, your brother Ron, we'll just keep you reading. You seem to have really gotten some skills there. So if you want to <laughs> you want to knock this one out, too. Yeah, I'm one of the few Kentuckians who can't read. a little rough, huh? <laughs> There's actually truth to that. I have a, have a client in Miami my age, sure. married with three kids, and he cannot read or write. Yeah, yeah. We'd have people at the shelter that yeah. couldn't read and write. Have me fill out their basketball bracket and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be, I mean, if you picture that in life, though, do you know how hard it would be if you couldn't read? One of my kids struggles with dyslexia and uh, is not a good reader. He works at it, and Natalie works at it and works at it, but he just has a terrible time. And, and we're not giving up, we're, but... That is hard, huh? Yeah. Okay, Ron, take us out. 
For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in the in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of his salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell you of the, your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So it's a quote down here from Psalm 22. But if you read this, he's not ashamed to call them brothers. And that is you, believer. I mean, that is, that is just incredible. Now, you know, we would definitely argue that, that you know, we're not the same as Jesus. Um, even in John 20, he says, he's, um, he's talking to Mary Magdalene, and he says, hey, go, go and tell the disciples what's going on here, and tell them that, that um, I'm going to my father and your father, which is kind of, kind of interesting. Um, I'm going to my God and your God is what he says. Um, so there's definitely some differences between us and Jesus, but brotherhood is an incredible thing. Um, another point that we need to talk about that adoption is distinct from justification and regeneration. Now, you, you might not um, care deeply about the, the order salutis, you know, the, the steps of order and salvation. That's, that's how we've been teaching it in this class and in the teen class as well. So you might not even have known that, but that's what we have been teaching, that there is order to salvation. But when you came to Christ, you didn't say, huh, I'm, I'm being regenerated right now. And you know what's coming down the pike? Some justification. And after that, adoption. You know, we don't, and when we share Christ with people, we don't walk up to someone and say, boy, I hope you get regenerated. We don't do that. But as we study scripture, you see God has an order in how he works. And this is, this is part of it. Um, some people kind of lump all them together, but just a, a few differences between adoption and, and regeneration. Regeneration would kind of, when you, when you hear of regeneration, what, what should we be thinking about? When you hear the term, you know, regeneration, I know you had an entire class on that, but regeneration, what's just kind of a... New life. Yeah, new life, okay? And God opening up our eyes so that we can actually even interact with him. Yeah, so that's regeneration. And then justification would be what? What would justification be? Yeah, a legal act. Yeah, God is judge saying, hey, you are declared righteous in my sight. And, and as we talked, uh, that was just last week with the teens, there is uh, imputed righteousness that Protestants believe, and it's a huge big deal. Um, or there is, uh, Roman Catholics would have kind of imparted righteousness. And, and we talked about it this way, because... I think one of the challenges in Christianity, or even outside of Christianity, is when two people use the same term. You know, if Jason and I could be talking about something, and if we both say the same word, and Jason means this, and I mean this, it's, it's really confusing. But that, that happens with justification. And so if justification is just imparted, that just gives you kind of a, 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 a leg up to follow God, is kind of what they believe. And so I had, uh, again, the teens, I had... Uh, Jonathan, I won't make you do it this time, Jonathan, with either of the guys next to you, but I had, had Henry uh, kneel on the ground on his hands and knees, and Jonathan stood on his back. And that's really what imparted Roman Catholic justification believes. This, I'm getting some, some help from God to get me a little closer to him. I'm getting a leg up, okay? And then I need to work and work and, and continue it. That would be imparted righteousness. Mm -hmm. 
But imputed righteousness, I had Allison stand against the wall. She's not the stoutest girl who's ever walked down the road. And I had Henry stand in front of her. And the class is out here. And we couldn't see Allison. I mean, we knew she was back there, but we couldn't see her. And that's really imputed righteousness of, of Jesus' righteousness being placed on us. That God looks down and sees Henry, as it were, sees Jesus and doesn't see us behind them. So, so that would be an adoption. Adoption has some legal aspects because when there's adoption, there's some legality to it, but, but at a different level than justification. But adoption, a lot of it is about relationship. And whether you had a good relationship with your mother and father or had a poor one, or whether you have a good relationship with your children or have a poor one, there is some legal aspect to that. Um, so let's look at, so, so keep that in mind. Um, and let's even look at the Lord's Prayer a little bit right here. Uh, Dave, I'll have you read that for us here. And before you start reading, sorry, I, I almost had you. Um, you look at that verse 12 and forgive us our debts. Is that justification or is that relationship? Because there's people that argue both directions, but it makes a really big difference. So on this, basically, is verse 12 saying I'm re-justified, I can get more justification and more justification and more justification? Or is it talking relationship here? Yeah, good. Dave, read that for us, please. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Good, good. Um, how about some, I'll just write these on here. Um, Okay, um, and we'll also put, obviously, Holy Spirit and Son. Okay, um, here would be some, some benefits of adoption. Um, if, we could, if we could go through those one at a time, and then I have some questions to kind of first to think about. Um, if you talk about privileges of adoption, we can call God our Father. Not a distant Father, um, but a good, good Father who really cares, really hears, and really loves. Um, we have inheritance. Um, turn with me to 1 Peter. Actually, yeah, let's all turn there. Let's turn to 1 Peter um, 1 4. And I don't want to minimize the, the bigness of these, but I think we're, we're all on the same page on that. The holy God of the universe allows us and loves us to say, hey, Abba Father, you really do care. And on your worst day, he really does care. And if you're in jail, or if you have lost a child, or if you, whatever horrific thing, he really, truly cares. And that's a really big deal. Uh, the Holy Spirit and the Son, we've, we've talked about that quite a bit. A lot of times we'll call you the, say the Holy Spirit of the Son, um, connected with that. But inheritance, I wanted us to look at inheritance because um, for most of us in here, we understand that salva salvation is forever and it's in the hand of God and it's wrapped up, God has us in his hand. 
Um, but there are stories in adoption. I remember a while back, I think it was a little kid in Tennessee where he, I think he was from Russia 10, or 10 years ago or something, and they, they sent him back. Um, and it was a huge international big deal. Um, we actually, in our church in Colorado, and I won't give you the details or anything, but we had, and it was our girl's very close friend. She's actually been in church here before, but she was adopted by a family in our church, and she was not the easiest kid to, to have. Um, I'd probably argue that some of the things that drove her parents crazy about her were things that drove every parent of teenagers crazy, you know, dirty rooms and ignoring counsel and guidance and and struggling with sin. Um, but they made the decision to give her up when she was 16 and uh, sent, her, sent her to uh, Mississippi to live in a uh, kind of a place for other kids of similar things. And so she'd come up, so she's been here in church and she's hung out at your house. She thinks Carla's her, her uh, best buddy. And she'll be like, how's Carla? <laughs> Good. And, um, and, it, and it was difficult. And she is difficult. And she's continued to make bad decisions now. So I think she's living in New York City and, you know, she found boyfriends and, and everything else. But um, God's adoption of us is not based on how good I am. It's not based on, am I going to be good enough? Am I going to keep being good enough? And um, I also want to empathize with adopting parents. There's so many times the challenges are so much greater than, than we anticipated. And one of the things when I've counseled with people um, prior to adopting, I always tell them, you cannot look at this as you... I will adopt, and this kid is going to be so thankful that I adopted him out of the rotten situation that everything's going to be, you know, it's going to be the puppy from the pound that's always going to want to lick my hand. That is not the case. And even before they adopted her, I, I counseled big time with that. This is, this is challenging, and they were aware of challenges, but um, yeah, um, this is a big deal. But the adoption of God is eternal and forever. Someone read First Peter uh, 1.4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Is there a more glorious passage? Forever. And I and I would challenge in in adopting before we move on. Um, I've had people leave the church that I pastored before because I wouldn't sign off as a pastor of their adoption, and and I didn't do it to be mean. But adoption's a big deal, and so if you are struggling in your marriage, you should not adopt. If you um, are not really serious. You can't adopt a kid to have him be the glue that keeps your marriage together. And I'll tell you as pastors, you know, I have always pushed adoption. I think it's, it is, it is such a picture of what, of what God does with us. And it is such a, a push thing in scripture to care for those that are hurting. So I'm a huge fan of adoption, but I've had to look across from someone and say, I, I hope that you can adopt down the road, but I can't sign that paper right now. How much counseling are we doing? I look at your marriage right here. Look at what is going on right here. This is not the time right now. And typically, if, if you, you know, we've got some pastors and former pastors in here, usually people just leave your church when you do that and then someone else signs it. But we stand before a holy God. But God will not give back. I, will, I would not you know, go down to the list of my kids and say, uh, yeah, um, you're being too hard. I'm going to give you back. If, if my child murdered... If my, now, I'm not saying there wouldn't be boundaries. I'm not saying they 
jail, whatever else, but your child is your child, whether it's adopted with a piece of paper or biologically born. And that's the inheritance from God, imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. Um, discipline is one. We, we don't have time, but um, Hebrews 12 talks about God disciplines those he loves. And so we don't typically think of it connected. I know, I don't think the author of the book, uh, Greg Allison, didn't have it in the section, but I, I think that fits with adoption, um, the discipline from God, even suffering with him that Romans 8 talks about. That's all part of adoption. We are identifying with Christ and he identifies with us. That discipline from Romans 12, he disciplines those he loves. He loves. And then relationships. And certainly we've talked about the relationship with the Trinity, but um, relationships with each other. Um, and, I, and I have a question for you there. So how does the um, theology of adoption push us? Here's my three questions. Push us as a church as we interact with each other when we talk about relationships. How, what does it do with racism? And then um, what does it do with church competition? Um, so as you think about that, I have a, uh, my, my best friend in college, and we're still good friends today. He lives in Indianapolis, and he's a pastor and uh, is a contractor, lives on the north side of the city, and he was adopted. And we got to be friends early on, and, and uh, I met him my, my first day of orientation when I went to college in Wisconsin. And uh, I looked over, and he's a, a, a big, strong guy, and his parents are itty-bitty, and they were a lot older than my parents. So I probably had the youngest parents there. And uh, I'm sure he had the oldest parents. His dad was a pastor of a, of a, little, of a little Baptist church in Elwood, Indiana, which isn't too far from uh, like Anderson and, and Andy Lutz and all them. Um, but Steve's a big, muscly guy. And his parents, again, itty-bitty. Itty and uh, so I was talking with him. We ended up working the same job there. And God and his providence brought us together. And we ministered in church together. We're in each other's weddings. Um, he's been here in church before. Um, but I remember he told me, so I asked him about adoption, and he said, it's, he said all he had, there was some Baptist organization, I, I think in Indiana, some, anyway, all he had was a card, and his card said the size of his parents, the color of their hair and eyes, and their age. So he said as a kid, he'd look at that card and he'd say, my dad is five foot ten, has red hair, and is a, is a farmhand, and his mom was... Five foot or five foot two and weighed like 280 pounds and was unemployed. So he, so I remember Steve telling me that. And he said, as a kid, I would read that and I would say, what am I going to look like when I'm older? <laughs> you know, am I going to top out this tall and be this wide? What, you know, and we would laugh about it. Even now, if I, we still bring it up every, every now and then, that card. But he said, as a kid, he would say, what am I going to be? I, I, I don't. I don't know, and he ended up being 6'2 and probably 230, but uh, he would say, I don't know what he, I'm going to be, but one thing he understands now that he didn't when he was 4 or 8 or 12, we're all one in Christ. Amen. We we have relationship with one another, more importantly, relationship with Christ. It isn't based on any, you know, just a few statistics. It's based on the death of Christ on the cross and God's love being set upon us. Um so, so what do you think on that? How does the theology of adoption push us, help us, or guide us as a church within our relationships? What do you think, Martha? Well, just as a family member, 
Mm-hmm. We're all different in the family unit. If we're the family of God, if Christ is the head, we'll, we'll love one another because our first the Holy Spirit dwells in us and we're heading the same place and we're wanting to lift our brother or sister up. So we're actually in a family united by Christ. So regardless of a uh, ethnicity, however you say it, or race, or we we have in common so much that we've all been saved by grace through faith. Yeah. And then the Spirit will teach us these things that apply. And we're all in on a mission to bring people into this family. Yeah. So we've got so much common. And yeah. so the competition or the envy comparison, you know, it's not. The, the main thing that holds us together, Christ is our head, the Holy Spirit in us. Yeah. And to love one another, you know, it doesn't matter what you look like. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we like everybody the same. Yeah. But it's not about looks, it's about our unity in Christ. Good. And Good. <clears throat> Excellent. Historical racism in the church, how does that speak to it? So you're living in 1840 in Owensboro. I guarantee you don't have black people in this church. Right. That's true. I say 1940. Uh, that's true. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how? how <laughs> here's one thing that always scares me. I think to myself. I think about this fairly often. We can look back and we can say, here were Christians. Jonathan Edwards, the foremost American theologian, owned slaves. How can that be? We know that culture pushes us more than we like to think. So what's going on? So I think this. What's going on in the American church right now? What's going on in heritage right now? What's going on with me and my family right now? That 40 years ago from now we're going to look back and say, oh my goodness, I can't believe I don't know. It, it pushes me on some things. I, I will tell you, I make some different decisions in some things because I think it's supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ. Okay, so maybe this is going to look weird, but I should do this or I should do that because God loves me, not because I'm earning my way to him. But how do you look and say, your skin is different than mine? There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. How does adoption speak to that? Lester? It's it's a right that we didn't that we weren't born with. Yeah. The birthright that I have in Adam is death. Yeah. The birthright I have in Christ is the inheritance of all things. Yeah. And the person sitting next to you? Yep, them too. Well they look completely different. They sound completely different. It's in Christ. And I think we need to remind ourselves of that because if we live in a world that's increasingly anti-God and Christianity, true biblical Christianity, is, appears to be shrinking in many areas, it, you know, it's exploding in some, China for example, we are going to have to be aware that anti-God thinking is going, to become the, is going to become increasingly the norm. So both how are we policing ourselves within the church and not letting the culture influence us, but also be prepared for the value of life going down. And so as, as, let's just say, as racism becomes less of a problem in the church, we would hope, 
But is the value of human life going down in other areas? It is. And so we need to uphold the value of life, whether it's connected to economic, skin, uh, uh, mental capacity, ability to work. Those are big deal. Okay, here's another one. Um, there's always a temptation in churches to look at who's the cooler guy in town. So there's that temptation in sports, you know, oh man, that guy's the coolest, or that team's the best, or whatever. You know, it happens in churches too. And we can have the, the temptation of saying, oh man, look at how our church is staying the same in numbers right now. What, why is this church over here growing? And people can be jealous or think, oh, they're the cool guys. Or what, how does adoption speak to that? What's that? Oh, what's that, Dave? You shouldn't be jealous. Shouldn't be jealous. God working in another church. Yeah, I'd agree with that. What else? That's really good. Should rejoice. We should rejoice. Now, if they're if they're biblical churches, you know, if, if it's you know they're sacrificing cats or something like that, obviously that's 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 often. But if yeah, Lester. Doesn't show partiality. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we can say. I would love to see our church grow, not so that we can say this or think this or whatever those things, but we want to see souls for the kingdom, right? We want to do kingdom work. We don't want to have our church grow so we, so we have to build another building. That's not the purpose of growth. It can, be a, it can be something that needs to happen, but can we not rejoice when, when souls are coming to Christ? I will tell you this. When I, when I was the, the summer I was first here, Friends of Sinners was coming that summer. And I really like the idea of Friends of Sinners. I mean, I was, I was at the Patino Shelter, which is basically kind of a, a secular slash Catholic. I personally shared the gospel, but it was not a gospel-saturated place by any means. Friends of Sinners, they share Christ all the time. I would go there after getting off work from Keith sometimes. I didn't do it a ton, but I did it some. And i just drive over there and show up, and I'd go to the house closest to the river, and I'd walk in and say, Hey, does anybody want to have a Bible study? And always somebody would, and I do a little Bible study. And then some of those guys were coming here. We did the Sunday school classes here. I wanted that to continue. And then most of them started going to another church. And I have to admit, I had some sinful thoughts. I thought, I wonder if they were wooed away. <laughs> I thought, well, you know, how come, what, they're cooler than us? They're what? You know, what, what, what do we not have that they, because I, I want those guys to come here. I want people, I... I wanted that to be part of the ministry of the church here. It didn't end up happening. Nobody wooed them away. A group that says, here's Christ, and most of them, and many of them started going there, and some go to other places and are scattered around, okay? But I think adoption tells us, I am happy that God's people are able to share gospel and influence people that I too would like to share with. But what are we, running out of people? Adoption pushes us on that, right? Okay, here's... Um, Hey, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was raised in a Protestant, a liberal Protestant denomination. Okay. Where you never heard anybody call anybody else brother. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of a cultural thing, but it's also biblical. But I have found you got to be careful because you can become, you just start calling people brother because they show up at church. Yeah. Or you use the word brother when really you don't even know anything about them, whether they're a Christian or not. Yeah. So we got to be careful on throwing out brother and sister. Yeah. But I appreciate, you know, being called brother. Yeah. Or 
there. Yeah. It, it reminds me that we are one in Christ and part of the same family. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of pastors that call everybody brother and sister because they don't know your, they can't remember your name. <laughs> there's, a, there's some pastors in town that I know some, but I don't know them that well, and they all call me brother. They'll be like, "Hey, brother." <laughs> Fine, we are. Yeah, Wiley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was thinking, you know, I think it's easy to want people that are different from different cultures. You know, whether you want black people or Asian. Sure. But what becomes difficult is their culture. Because you kind of want people that, the temptation is to want different people, people from friends and centers, people from all these places, but you don't want their culture, you want them to be like them. Hmm. You know, have the same interests you do, and when they don't, yeah. it makes it hard. To yeah. Vice versa. Mm-hmm. Is they'll walk into a culture that's it's not as free or whatever. You know, immediately yeah. judge the culture. Yeah. Rather than knowing the body. Yeah. I mean, Which is something something that has to push all of us because we I've got something in common with all believers in here. Yes. We're connected to the body of Christ, yeah, yeah. but we sure have this temptation of. I just like to hang out with people. You know, I, we were at the the uh, Eric Long's thing on Friday night. Well, it's easy for me to sit in front of a basketball game, and then you know Brandon Boswell and I can talk basketball. I can talk basketball with anybody. He can talk basketball with anybody. But do you talk to and hang out with people that's different that are different from you? One of the things uh, I have a I really like Mark Redford. I think very very highly of him. We don't have a ton in common. He'll say. Uh, hey, did you see this album cover? That's actually a such and such. And I'll say... <laughs> or he'll say... Uh, or uh, he'll be like, hey, remember in such and such movie? Wasn't that a funny line? And I watched some... I'm just not a big movie guy. I'm not against them. I'm just, so I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> but I have to be careful too that I don't, you know... Hey, you know, such and such sports. He likes some sports some, but I mean, I could just, what if I talk about cows all the time with him? <laughs> you know, I'm having some issues with the breed up on my cows, Mark. I, you know, but you know what's cool in church? We could have all kinds of different interests. Some of you like to latch hook rugs. Some of you like to, you know, clean teeth, do surgery, count things, do, do coding in computers, do pharmacy stuff that I'm like, I have no idea. You wouldn't want me behind the counter in there with you know, Thomas. I, you know, but in Christ, it's all good. We can, we can talk about Christ and you know, Tom has some interests that I probably don't and, and I have some interests that he doesn't, but in Christ? So that's, I think that's a huge thing we want to push. I want, I want the person from Friends of Sinners to feel comfortable here. I want, I want a variety of backgrounds to feel comfortable here, but the reality is Sometimes people are more comfortable in different places. I remember people left our church in Colorado. It started in a barn as a cowboy church. Just because that's the, that's the way God worked and so that's what we were doing. And then a guy was like, oh, I'm out of here because, you know, there's always other people now. And it's just, you know, I don't have anything in common with them. And he left with his family. I thought it was really sad because, you know, what we have in common, I don't know, Jesus, the most important thing. I mean, for some way, Wiley and Maida can make it work in their marriage. And, you know, English wasn't her heart language, right? Wiley, how much Filipino did you know before? Uh, not a whole lot, right? But you have a bond. You have something bigger than just language, right? Okay, so let me, let me finish with this. Um, 
I'll just read this. I want us to be a church of adopters, of supporters of adoption, whether that's finances, prayer, cheerleading, cheering them on, help. Um, and I was actually having time to talk to the adoptive parents what would best help, but I'm sorry I didn't get to that. So I, I want to be that as a church. I want each of us to be that. How can we help? How can we help those that are even looking towards adoption? Hobson's, the course. Um, and then two, uh, this, um, this is actually Mark's copy of this because I had multiple copies, but I loaned them out to people and then sometimes you don't get them back. So I said, Mark, let me borrow that from you real quick. Um, this is a top 20 book of mine all time. If you haven't read Russell Moore's Adopted for Life, it's a story of his adoption of his two boys. Um, and it weaves in and out the story of theological adoption. And it is tremendous. Like, I can't read it without crying. But it is tremendous. But he tells him there's a story of adopting his two little boys. And he's in Russia. And they, they went there once. And he said none of those kids cried. His, his sons were over one year old the first time he saw them. None of them ever cried. Just rocked in their, rocked in their cribs. He said, why? And it was a dark room. They never turned the lights on. Why didn't they ever cry? It's because when they were little babies and they cried, nobody ever got them. They never learned crying doesn't do anything. And they stopped. He said it was as quiet as a library. And it was a room filled with babies. And it was virtually pitch dark in there. The first time they're allowed to take them out, they, they walk out, and they had met them once, and then they had to go back another time. They walk out into the sun, and his boys, I think they were like 18 months old at the time, they start screaming, and he's walking out with them, and they're screaming. Why? They've never felt wind, and it was a breezy day. And what's this stuff hitting my face? And they've never seen the sun. They've never been outside. And then they, strap, they put them in car seats. They've never been in a car seat. And they're driving along in the road, and the boys are looking outside and yelling because they've never seen speed. What are we doing? And they look back at the orphanage. And he said, here's this disgusting orphanage where they had filthy diapers, and they weren't cared for as well as they should have been. And he said, all he could do is tell them, we're going to a new place. We're going to a new place. And he goes down a list of, we're going to care for you, and we're going to love you. And then he finishes off, and we're going to go to McDonald's. You're, we're going to a good place. And he said, that's what we do, too, as Christians. No, no, this world here, this world, that's all I know. I do, this future and a hope, this inheritance, I don't know what that looks like. I want to be here. I want to be in the orphanage. No, no, no. We want to go with our adopted father. We want to, we want to go where he takes us, and we have an eternity and a hope with him. And that's the theology of adoption. So let me pray quickly, and then we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we worship you for adopting us, not because we were better or better looking or brought you anything, but because you chose to set your love upon us. Lord, understanding that and worshiping you with that, let us be a church that sees the value of life and does something about it. And adoption is one of those things, Lord. Help us to support, to pray about it for ourselves and to lift each other up. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Right, you're dismissed. So sad. Yes. When our church, some of my closest friends